Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. My name is Doug Wortham, and I have the distinct pleasure of hosting today's show. Today, we're going to get some information about the Minnesota State Veterans Cemeteries. We'll check in with a Minnesota Army National Guard unit, and we'll hear from the Patriot Guard. But first, it's time for, generally speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. The Minnesota National Guard has long trained for emergency contingencies when civilian authorities call for help. We have trained for severe flooding, out-of-control wildfires, and search and rescue missions. Now our airmen and soldiers are training for a new threat. Cyber warfare is an internet-based conflict involving politically motivated attacks on information and information system. Cyber warfare attacks can disable official websites and networks, disrupt or disable essential services, steal or alter classified data, and cripple financial systems. The Minnesota National Guard has full-time staff whose job is to track cyber issues and keep us ahead of the cyber attack. We have also identified traditional drilling members of the force who are capable of being called up to fight a cyber attack or cyber-triggered emergency. Such an emergency would require a coordinated response across multiple levels of government. We are continuing to work with other state, local, and federal agencies to develop our interoperability and plans for various scenarios. I am proud to tell you that your Minnesota National Guard continues to conduct cyber response rehearsals annually, ensuring that as threats like these evolve, we are always ready, always there. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Joining me in the studio is David Swantek. David is the Deputy Director of Memorial Affairs for the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. David has the responsibility for oversight of the administration and field operations of the four state veterans cemeteries. Those cemeteries are located in Duluth, Little Falls, Preston, and Redwood Falls. Dave's been working at the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs for just 27 years in July, (laughs) which is a great career with the MDVA. Dave, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks, Doug. It's good to be here. Yeah, wonderful to have you in the studio. Um, You know, it's good because, one, I get to see you again. We get to have a little friendly banter, um, you know, maybe off air, a little bit on air. But an important topic to talk about today, to discuss our state veteran uh, cemeteries and, you know, just get some more information. As we were discussing uh, before we started recording here is, you know, is, is the same information um, just flooding uh, our audience. And, and as we agreed, it's important to continue to talk about it so that people get the proper education about what the state cemeteries are. It is. Uh, we get questions all the time, people that actually haven't even heard about our cemeteries, believe it or not. Uh, now that we're uh, in four locations across the state, we still run into veterans and, and their family members that aren't fully aware of the services that we offer at our cemeteries. And so I, I think repeating this information to our listeners is important. You know, and I, I want to get into, um, you know, some of the uh, qualifications, if you will. But, um, you know, the first cemetery, Little Falls, uh, opened in 1994. And then it took a few years. Preston opened second in 2015. A couple years later, Duluth in 18, and now Redwood Falls in 2023. But as we were discussing, um, you know, there's milestones along the way. I think having four state veteran cemeteries is a pretty darn big deal. But um, you just hit a milestone up at Little Falls. 
We did. Uh, after nearly 30 years of operation in Little Falls uh, this past week, uh, we provided burial to our 10,000th person in that cemetery. Uh, not all veterans, obviously, since we bury dependents in our cemetery as well, but uh, serving 10,000 individuals with a burial to honor uh, and memorialize their service to our U.S. military is a huge milestone for us. I think the interesting thing for me is, you know, 30 years, 10,000, I would have thought it would have been a lot more. Of course, our Minnesota veteran population, you know, isn't uh, enough to, uh, you know, do probably a lot more than that. And we hope that they live longer, right? But uh, what was amazing to me is we have four veteran cemeteries now. And really what that means for long term, there is going to be an ability for Minnesota veterans to be buried close to their home, for many, many years, decades to come. Absolutely, and it's one of the key things that we look for when we're developing a new cemetery is a property that's large enough for us to operate for 100 years. You know, that's really what we go into the the site selection process uh, looking for, and we've achieved that at our cemeteries, believe it or not. It may be, you know, you, you drive into Little Falls and it seems like it's filling up, but we're efficient in how we do burials and uh, you know, we'll be serving veterans for many decades in, into the future now across the entire state with the four cemeteries that are currently in operation. I think one of the things that uh, comes up probably more frequently as far as questions relate to uh, the state cemetery is, um, you know, Fort Snelling, which is a federal cemetery. Uh, maybe you can just kind of tell uh, the audience really what those differences are aside from federal and state. Sure. Uh, well, you know, we're smaller. You drive into Fort Snelling, that's a massive cemetery. It's huge, you know, tens upon tens of acres. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure the size, but that's one thing that you'll notice right away, that we're kind of a small version of, of a national cemetery. Um, but the things that we provide are the same. The grave space that we provide, the government-issued headstone uh, that we mark the grave with, and then the fact that we provide perpetual care where we maintain those grave sites into perpetuity for those families is exactly the same service that you get at a national cemetery. We do have one difference, um, and that is the fact that we charge a fee for the burial of a dependent, um, typically the spouse of a veteran. Uh, so that that is a, a distinguishing difference that we have between our state cemeteries and uh, national cemeteries such as Fort Snelling. But it is a nominal fee. It's a nominal fee. Um, we've looked at ways to possibly eliminate that, and uh, that gained a little traction with the legislature this past session. Um, I expect that that could be brought up again. It, it did not pass, but something that's been been looked at, um, which, you know, if that happens, would put us absolutely on a level playing field with the National Cemetery Administration and their cemeteries. Yeah, and, and what I know, having been to both state and the uh, federal cemetery, is you really can't tell the difference other than the name. I mean, when you walk in, it is pristine grounds. The, uh, the gravestones, the markers are in perfect line. They're not leaning. I mean, it just looks fantastic. They are the same in, in that regard. And, you know, we really treat our cemeteries as monuments. They're monuments to honor and recognize the sacrifice and service that our military members have provided to our nation. Um, you know, every one of those headstones out there tells a story and 
now that we've, you know, Memorial Affairs wide, which is our four cemeteries uh, with Little Falls surpassing that 10,000 mark uh, as an entire Memorial Affairs division, we're over 12,000 uh, burials. And, you know, it's really 12,000 stories that, that exist out at those uh, cemeteries if you take the time and walk around and look at all the headstones. So we have just a, a about a minute and a half left in this segment here, and you've already talked about the nominal fee, but um, can you just describe a little bit about the eligibility to be buried in a state cemetery? Absolutely. Um, you know, in a nutshell, it's any veteran who received uh, other than dishonorable discharge from active military service. Uh, you know, members of the National Guard or Reserve, uh, if they haven't been activated under Title 10 or federally activated, uh, those members have to serve uh, 20 years or be eligible for retirement to qualify for burial. Um, but, you know, it's basically any veteran, as I said, that received other than dishonorable discharge from active military service. And uh, would you recommend then that somebody, if they're interested in finding out about eligibility, that they go to their county veteran service officer? Would you have, rather have them come directly to you? What do you tell people to do? I mean, you know, getting information from the county veteran service offices across the state is is fine, but, you know, they can contact us directly too. Um, you know, that way we're able to answer specific questions that they have about our operation that maybe a county veteran service office, um, especially if they're not, you know, close by to one of our facilities, uh, might not have, a, you know, a direct answer to some of the questions. And we'll we'll talk about it later on too, but minnesotaveteran.org slash cemeteries is a place to go on the MDVA uh, website to get additional information. So we'll take a break here, and then we're going to come back. I want to talk about Redwood Falls because that was kind of a milestone too, the fourth state veteran cemetery. Um, this is Minnesota Military Radio. We've been speaking with Dave Swantech. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. In the last segment, we were speaking with Dave Swantech, who's the Deputy Director of Memorial Affairs for the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. And uh, Dave, uh, I want to get into Redwood Falls a little bit because that was the fourth state veteran cemetery to, to open its gates, so to speak. And in August, you had a dedication ceremony. We did. It's, it was a long time coming. That project's been uh, in the works for uh, over a decade, well over a decade. And, you know, the community of Redwood Falls and the veterans that live down in that southwest region of the state waited a long time for that cemetery to open up. And so we were really proud to finally get that project uh, finalized and and opened with our first burial on uh, August 7th and then a formal dedication of the facility on Saturday, August uh, 19th. I was out there that day. It was a sweltering day. Um, good to report that there were no heat casualties uh, on that day. But one of the stories that uh, that I heard, and maybe you can expand on it just a little bit, was kind of how the land came to be and uh, the donation of the land. I, I just thought that was uh, just really neat and a way in which the community comes together to say, we need this in our area. And oh, by the way, I'm somebody who's going to stand up and give you some land for it. Yeah, it's another example of how really all of our cemeteries, uh, our new cemeteries especially, have been a partnership between the federal, state, and local governments uh, to make those uh, projects a reality. Uh, Redwood County was no different. Um, uh, they actually purchased a portion of the property where the cemetery's at, and then about 14 acres of that property was donated 
uh, by a private landowner uh, for for the cemetery. And uh, interestingly, his brother was the first veteran buried at the cemetery on August 7th. So uh, it kind of came full circle for that family. Um, we looked at a lot of property uh, in and around Redwood Falls and in Redwood County as a whole. And so, um, you know, again, to to have the county participate and then a private individual also donate a portion uh, made that a special day and a special, you know, a burial for his brother and that family. And it wasn't just happenstance where the brother died and then the cemetery was opened. They actually held out for three years. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, they knew that the project was in the works. And so, you know, when his brother passed away, the family made a decision to hold on to those cremated remains. And uh, as we got closer to, you know, having the cemetery be a reality and the construction was getting close to complete, uh, we re-engaged with that family and ultimately offered, uh, you know, his brother to be the first burial there, which was really special. Yeah, that, that's that got to be pretty special. And and I would imagine that the, the process, I mean, it's not obviously an overnight thing. There's a lot of things that go into the, the planning to get the project ready. But um, just leading up to that day, what was it like for you as the administrator for everything, right? All these four cemeteries, you got a lot of stuff going on and you've got this big project and, and you've got a deadline because you're trying to get this thing done. You're planning for the 19th of August and not everything goes perfect, does it? No, it doesn't. And it, it can be anything from weather to, you know, COVID's created a lot of delays in receiving certain pro uh, products for construction. Um so, you know, this project was no different than any other we've had. It seems like it's taken forever to to get to that completion point, but once you once you realize that you're getting close, your focus does kind of shift to that first burial and then obviously the subsequent burials that are going to take place and uh training up a new staff and making sure that they understand the level of commitment that we have for our veterans and really the reputation that we've developed uh, with our other cemeteries is now in their hands for that southwest location to carry on uh, the good work that our other staff in other locations have uh, completed over the years. You know, you talk about the staff dedication, the hard work that went into an event like this. One of the stories you were telling before was the uh, the amount of sod they had to lay in a very short period of time to make sure that that dedication ceremony was ready to go. Yeah, typically we like to seed, you know, our turf grass, and we we usually get better results with seeding turf grass. But in this case, time didn't permit that. We had a dedication event that was planned and was going to take place. And so about six weeks before we pivoted and made the decision to, to start laying sod and ultimately put down over 100,000 square feet of sod, um, which was done in whole by our cemetery staff members. And so... That's an incredible accomplishment in and of itself. It's like instant gratification to see dirt go to nice, fine, manicured turf overnight. It was neat to see. Well, and, and, and the pride, um, having the opportunity to talk to some of those folks um, while I was out at that dedication ceremony. Um, your, your grounds crew, they have a lot of pride in what it is that they do, and it certainly comes through in, uh, in the work that they provide. They do. I'm really fortunate to have staff at all of our locations that really buy into our mission. 
They understand the importance of what it is that we're doing every day, who we're serving. Um, and they get a lot of gratitude from the general public, people that stop and thank them for their work. We all know sometimes in government work, we're behind the scenes and don't get thanked a lot. But, um, you know, my staff out on the front lines, they actually do receive a lot of praise from the public. And I think that drives them to even want to do better for the veterans in, in that community that we, that we serve. Well, we've only got about uh, three and a half minutes or so left, and I want to make sure I get the two things. What advice do you give to veterans that um, haven't registered to be buried at a state veteran cemetery? What, what do you tell them to do? It's really important for you to plan for, you know, your end of life um, and burial. None of us are going to get out of this life uh, alive, so to speak. And um, it really is a service to your family to do some pre-planning. And for us, that's a simple process. Um, Or working with us, it's a simple process for veterans a uh, simple one-page pre-application and submit that along with the discharge documents that we can establish the veteran is eligible for burial. We then provide a letter back to the veteran stating that they are, in fact, eligible, and they can keep that letter in their records, and uh, it prevents their family from having to, to do that at the time of death. And so um, it, it really is important that veterans that are you know, considering burial at one of our facilities, connect with us to complete one of those pre-registration applications. Yeah, and so obviously at that time, you're going to verify eligibility. You give them that certificate. Like you said, uh, it's one less thing for the family to worry about when that time comes, because you're right, um, that time will come for everybody. Well, yes, that's right. Now, you know, sometimes family members that aren't veterans, they don't know what DD-214 is or they've never seen it, and so that, that can be challenging. Well, let's uh, quickly shift gears here in this last minute and a half or so. I want to make sure we give some time to the Duluth uh, Cemetery and the Operational Excellence Award that they received. Tell us a little bit about that and what goes into it. Sure. Every year, um, one of our cemeteries gets, uh, you know, visited by the National Cemetery Administration. So each cemetery goes through this every three years. And since we have now multiple cemeteries, one of our locations is going through this. Little Falls will be going through it again uh, this coming summer or next summer. Um, But anyway, Duluth um, went through that process uh, over the past year and actually scored 100%. The National Cemetery Administration comes in and, and looks at about 85 different uh, standards and, and there's a measure for each of those standards and it can be anything from uh, how plumb or straight is a headstone to you know how many days was it before you set a headstone after it was received um, you know things that they look at in our administrative offices it's almost like an audit and uh, our team in Duluth actually scored a perfect 100% on that uh, recent compliance review with the National Cemetery Administration. And because of that, we're recognized with, uh, uh, you know, for operational excellence, which is a high honor from the National Cemetery Administration for us to receive. 
Well, that just speaks volumes to uh, the the staff that you have on board, uh, testament to your leadership and, and everything that goes on with that team. So uh, excellent work on that. Again, we can direct people to minnesotaveteran.org slash cemeteries. They get more information. Obviously, you can always go to their CVSO and they'll be able to get you get them in contact with, uh, with the local cemetery. Uh, Dave, hey, great conversations. Uh, it's wonderful to have you in the studio and, uh, and uh, get some great information about our state veteran cemeteries. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's always great to be able to share this important information with our listeners. Yeah, uh, thanks, and keep up the great work. Best to you and your entire staff. Uh, We've been speaking with Dave Swantek from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. He's the Deputy Director of Memorial Affairs. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. In a moment, we're going to get an update from one of our Minnesota Army National Guard units. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Interim Commissioner Brad Lindsay. Our three beautiful new state veterans' homes in Bemidji, Montevideo, and Preston are moving towards completion with the goal of beginning to admit residents this fall. All locations are actively hiring for a wide variety of positions. Learn more about finding a meaningful career serving those who served or sign up to receive our jobs bulletin at minnesotaveteran.org slash careers. If you're curious about eligibility requirements or need answers to other questions related to veterans' home admission, visit minnesotaveteran.org slash futurehomes. We look forward to welcoming residents and their family to our Bemidji, Montevideo, and Preston homes, where every day is considered Veterans Day. Thank you, Interim Commissioner Lindsay. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. You may have noticed that uh, this week, in the last several weeks, we've done the Commissioner's Corner and we've introduced the Interim Commissioner. And I wanted to give everybody an update um, about Commissioner Larry Herkey, um, where he announced his retirement due to an ALS diagnosis um, effective September 22nd. He stepped away from his role as the MDVA commissioner. And I want to lead you, leave you with uh, words from him. He says, it was an honor to serve veterans and their family members in my role as commissioner. I will continue to serve veterans in retirement as I partner with veteran organizations to advocate for advances in medical research toward a cure for ALS, a disease veterans receive a diagnosis of twice as much as the general population. Our thoughts and prayers go with uh, Commissioner Larry Herkey, and we wish him well. So joining me in the studio is Major Jacob Redding. Major Redding is the commander of the 204th Medical Company Area Support. The 204th mission is to provide Echelon 1 and 2 combat health support to units located in areas of operation on the battlefield. Also joining us um, from the phone is Staff Sergeant Raul Navarro-Urena, who is the supply sergeant and was the project manager for Operation Walking Shield, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Gentlemen, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks for having us on. All right. So um, I, I want to start with you, um, uh, Major Redding, and, and the same question will go to uh, Staff Sergeant Navarro. But uh, tell us a little bit about your, your military career and, and what got you um, into the, the 204th. How's your career been? <laughs> Well, thanks for asking. Uh, it has been a long, seems like a long career right now, but 
Uh, it flies when you actually go back to think about it. I uh, started out at the Air Force Academy uh, as a cadet there. Uh, I ended up leaving there and got my commission at St. John's University uh, up in Collegeville. After that, I moved into uh, several different units within the National Guard to include our uh, Combat Arms Brigade, our ECAB, uh, the aviation unit, and uh, eventually with division, I deployed over to Kuwait for uh, 10 months. Uh, that was back in 18 to 19, and came back after that. Uh, eventually went and took command or took uh, the executive officer with the 204th, and that transitioned into command at the 204th here just recently. All right. Well, congratulations on that new assignment. And Staff Sergeant Navarro um, as a Staff Sergeant Supply Sergeant uh, with the uh, 204th. Why did you join the uh, Minnesota Guard? I was active duty first for about four years. I was stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. And I spent about a year with the Colorado National Guard. Got activated for COVID-19, doing uh, medical treatment and testing during the uh, pandemic, and then right after I moved here and joined the Minnesota Guard. Okay, um, uh, I'm technically still uh, still a medic. That's why I'm with the 204th, just filling in a, that supply section right now. Gotcha. And you know that's the uh, the classic uh, uh, line, right? Other duties as assigned. So it's kind of yeah. a catch-all, and and uh, you know we always step up uh, where we can. Um, I want to get back to you, uh, to Major Redding, and, and sir, all right, so you've been in command just for a, a few months. You recently took over, and, and I know from my time uh, serving that when new commanders come in, obviously you do your period of evaluation, um, and you get some commander's guidance from your commander, but then you have to give guidance and priorities to your unit. So what kind of priorities are you working on to put into place for the uh, the 204th? Yeah, I was in a little bit of a unique situation where I was the executive officer and then took over as commander. Uh, so I was very familiar with the unit and how the unit's been operating. Uh, that allowed me to immediately just step right into how we were operating. Uh, right now, one of my two of my biggest things are retention, uh, which obviously comes from the commanding general uh, all the way through the Minnesota National Guard, and then mentorship of soldiers. Those are two key highlights. Uh, others would be training and accountability of soldiers. Uh, the retention piece is really big right now because we want to ensure that we are managing our junior soldiers and their careers uh, in order to give them a feeling of understanding that higher level uh, officers as well as senior enlisted have their career in mind. And, and obviously, uh, retention is extremely important because that directly impacts the recruiting required. And uh, in Minnesota, the Minnesota Army National Guard was one of few Army National Guard units that actually met the recruiting mission uh, at the end of the, the fiscal year. So every bit of retention uh, certainly helps that. I do want to shift gears here real quick. We've got just about three and a half minutes in this segment. I want to make sure that uh, Sar- Staff Sergeant Navarro gets an opportunity to jump in here. Um, you had an opportunity to do something what I think is kind of unique. Uh, you were a project manager and the non-commissioned officer in charge for a very unique training opportunity, uh, something called Operation Walking Shield. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, what went into the planning of that? I was lucky enough to, to 
take part of us going up to Alaska the year prior to Operation Arctic Care. And it was a similar format, same organization that was leading it. Uh, we just, um, Major Redding was able to get us assigned the mission as the lead unit here in Minnesota. And it, I really enjoyed um, being the lead for this because it was a rare opportunity to serve the people of Minnesota as part of a training event, right, for the Minnesota National Guard, and also the different amounts of uh, units and organizations that I had to deal with to get all the planning in order. Yeah, because this wasn't just the uh, Minnesota National Guard. You had uh, the reserve component there as well. And what other partners were were, uh, working with you? So my direct partner in uh, the, the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, he was from the U.S. Um, U.S. Department of Public Health Services. And then obviously I got to work directly with the Native tribe um, to get all the planning and everything in order. And then, like you mentioned, the Army Reserves from the East Coast. And so there was about 108 personnel participating in this. You had uh, the Army Reserves there. Um, I mean, just a, a big effort to come in. And uh, can you tell us, you know, I'm looking at a list of some of the services that uh, were provided, but what, what were the services that you were responsible for or that the 204th brought to the table? Uh, so the biggest assets that we were providing from the 204th were uh, the medical services, um, like the providers and the majority of the medics. We also provided the facilities that uh, we did all the care in. The bulk of the dental team was from uh, the Army Reserves, but the majority of the dental providers were actually from the Minnesota Guard. So we had our hands in almost every single service that we were providing, and they were kind of bulking us up in that regard. Yeah, and from all of the uh, reports that I read, the stories, the articles on it, it seemed as though it was a fantastic um, experience and a great success. And uh, that was up uh, from about 18 to 26 July here this past summer. Uh, so nice work on that. Uh, gentlemen, we do have to take a quick break here. When I come back, I want to kind of get your perspective on on the uh, the operation, uh, Major, and, and just kind of see how you uh, felt about uh, things there. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Doug Wortham. Uh, we've been speaking with Major Jacob Redding and also Staff Sergeant Raul Navarro-Urena. Uh, we are talking about the uh, the project Operation Walking Shield. And um, Major Redding, um, if you could just tell us, is this the first time that the 204 has been able to participate in this type of, uh, of an operation or event? This isn't the first time. Uh, last year we did Operation Arctic Care up in Alaska, and from that gave us the experience to be the lead unit for a local uh, chapter of the IRT and okay. be able to submit for that. And so now this this operation, the um, walking shield, is this something now that will become just kind of a regular part of your battle rhythm? No, that's a good question. The unfortunate part is we have both military and civilian duties where you know we provide a medical service that allows us to do these kind of operations. Uh, the other the other type of uh, military function would be the engineers that's able to do more civilian side things. Uh, but we also have mission essential tasks that we have to meet 
on a yearly basis to make sure that we are qualified as a combat unit. Gotcha. And and I should point out that IRT is Innovative Readiness Training. And so just like the uh, name describes, I mean, is it an innovative opportunity then for you all to go do um, some of this training? I want to come back to you, Staff Sergeant Navarro. Um, you know, you've been in the Minnesota National Guard for a while. You spent some time on uh, on active duty, as you said. Um, when you think about the training you've been able to participate in, uh, the the drills, your annual training, like up at Camp Ripley, um, how would you rate this type of training? How valuable is it to you and to the soldiers that you lead to be able to participate in something like this? Uh, I think it's actually one of the best trainings that I have ever taken part of, for really for two reasons. And one is for that face-to-face value that you get with actual patients. Like working in the medical field in the military, sometimes you don't always get to train in that environment. You know, you play with mannequins all day. You can run through the same scenarios day in, day out, but it doesn't replace that face-to-face contact of treating real patients in a real-world scenario where actual things can go wrong or the unexpected can happen. And And so... I'm sorry. So as a staff sergeant, I mean, generally, um, I mean, this is a big responsibility to put on your plate to take over as a project manager. So is this something that you had to get some like additional training on um, or are you just were able to just step in and, and do it? Uh, so I didn't get any additional training per se, but I did have someone from the National Guard Bureau that, you know, they have um, pre-made handbooks and I had access to all the resources from prior missions. Uh, so I definitely had a lot of help. It wasn't just me. And I, and then it's just on me to make sure I get those products the way that Major Reading wanted them. Okay. And so, you know, and of course that starts with, you know, obviously that playbook you mentioned, but then some good commander's intent and direction, and then you were able to just to take that, move out, and make things happen. Right. Well, uh, well, that's great. So from your perspective, uh, Major Redding, I mean, training like this, you know what, it's always, it's good to get your team to Camp Ripley. It's a great training facility up there, but it's better to go do something real world, isn't it? Absolutely. And doing that, you know, Sergeant Navarro hit on it really well, is that face-to-face patient interaction. You don't get that when we're doing, you know, the training events that we try to do every year. And it gets a bit stagnated for a lot of medics that have been in for a long time. So having a change of pace like this, you know, even though we can't do it every year, it also provides that opportunity for real-world interaction and retention for those soldiers to actually do their job. And I tell you, I could not have actually come close to pulling this off without Staff Sergeant Navarro's help. He has been phenomenal and working well above his pay grade. Well, and, and, you know, an event like this, you talked about retention, uh, definitely has a positive impact on retention, you know, versus what some people might say, you know, doing the same thing year after year. And and I know OpTempo um, is different um, today than it was many, many years ago, and you've got to be ready for your real-world mission or your combat mission, but to be able to take a break and put some real-world application um, where you're not in a combat zone has got to be kind of a nice treat as well. Yeah, and help the community. It's yeah, great, It's a great thing to do. <laughs> yeah, there you go, because, you know, the, the saying, right? I mean, we live here, we work here, we serve here, and you're actually serving in a community, a community that needed the services you were providing. Uh, we've got just uh, just over a minute left here. Um, Staff Sergeant Navarro, I want to wrap this one up with you. Um, hey, you've been in the Minnesota National Guard. Uh, there's somebody out there. Um, you know, 
17 years old, thinking about something they might want to do with their life, what would you tell them about considering an option like joining uh, one of our National Guard units? I would say joining the National Guard is a great opportunity for anything that you want to do, and the National Guard needs you. Yeah, the National Guard does need you. Hey, thanks so much, uh, Staff Sergeant Navarro. I, I appreciate you spending a little bit of time uh, with us on uh, Minnesota Military Radio. All right, thank you. All right, so, sir, I'll, I'll wrap up with here with you this last uh, 45 seconds. Um, what do you say to that uh, person that might be thinking about uh, joining the Minnesota National Guard? There are a lot of careers out there, and on-the-job experience that translates from the National Guard to the civilian world is actually a real thing. And being able to leverage that experience and leadership experience that you gain from joining the Guard and still being able to work amongst the civilian population is huge. Yeah, and, you know, they get great training opportunities like what we just talked about the last several minutes. Um, thanks so much for joining Minnesota Military Radio. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank That's you. Major Redding and also Staff Sergeant Raul Navarro, Urena. Joining us from the flag line is Tim Leonhardt with the Patriot Guard. Tim, how are you doing today? And welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Well, thank you. I'm doing just fine. Thank you, Doug. It's always an honor. Well, we're we're glad to have you. It's great to chat with you um, every 30 days or so. And, um, you know, we're getting to that time of the year. Uh, it's cooling down finally. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But what that generally means is that uh, we've got some holiday stuff coming right around the corner. And, and you've got a big event that uh, the Patriot Guard is prepping for. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, what we do is there's a there's a group called Reeses Across America, and they put uh, Rees on all the tombstones in the military cemeteries. And we help them with that, and we actually order and place about 2,000 Rees ourselves. And um, we're, people are starting to ask about how do they get the Rees ordered and how do they, you know, sign up to help and things like that. So... Um, the deadline is December 4th, so you have to get your order in before that. And I'm in the process of putting something on our webpage at mnpatriotcard.org. And if you just go there, there will be something written right up on the front page. And it will give you all the details, what you need to do, and, and things like that to volunteer or to order wreaths. Well, I would imagine that, uh, you know, trying to put 2,000 wreaths out across the different cemeteries in the state of Minnesota, uh, you might require some volunteers for that. Oh, yeah. And and like you said, that information will be posted on there. Yep. Um, so are you looking for uh, volunteers um, specifically for that day? Or are you looking for yeah. volunteers in general for, uh, you know, supporting the Minnesota uh, Patriot Guard? Oh, both, both. We always want to be at the funerals honoring our, our fallen heroes. You know that's our that's our that's what we do, and the more the better. Uh, there's nothing like a, a full full road full of American flags to honor a fallen a fallen hero. It helps support the families. The families are left just feeling like people care. You know they see these complete strangers standing in the in the in the cold in the rain on a hot day. Uh, 30 below, and they're out there honoring those their 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 loved ones, and they just they can't believe it. It's it's just unreal to them. 
Well, and I think that that's the testament to what your your values are for the Minnesota Patriot Guard, right? Honor, dignity, and respect, and yeah. um, you know, being able to be there when one of our heroes is laid in their final resting place. Yeah, and we don't care what the weather is. Weather is nothing. Most of us are motorcycle riders, and we like to ride our motorcycles to it. It's easier to park 100 motorcycles than it is 100 cars. So it's easier to park them. Um, but we don't care. We'll come in our cages. We call them cages because you're kind of caged in from being on a motorcycle. And, um, you know, we want to be there. It doesn't matter what the weather is. If it's storming out, well, we kind of not don't want to be holding a flagpole when it's or lightning out. But um, most of the time, if it's winter, we've been, I, I've been to funerals when there was 30 below. You know, and we, we just want to be there. So, Tim, if somebody goes to the website, um, you know, give us the website again and then just remind everybody how it is that the Patriot Guard um, can attend one of these events because you won't just okay. show up. No, we won't just show up. That That's just that's just not a good thing. So what we do is we require an immediate family or the funeral home or, you know, somebody in authority to request us. And to request us, just go to our webpage, mnpatriotguard.org. And on the left side, it says invite the, the Minnesota Patriot Guard. Just go in there, fill out the little form that's there, and that'll get to the right people. They will contact you and make all the arrangements. All right. So again, mnpatriotguard.org. Go out there, get information about the Patriot yep. Guard to request the Patriot Guard, and then, of course, to volunteer for laying those 2,000-plus yep. wreaths. Yep. Um, hey, Tim, thanks so much for joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. I hope you have a great rest of the day. I do. Thank you, and it's been, it's been an honor. As we near our end of uh, time together, I just want to let you know that this show is for you. So please, if you have topic suggestions, if you've got feedback on our show, if you're a Minnesota veteran and you've got a story that you want to share, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Click on that Contact Us button and then send us a, a message. I would like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Tim Leonhart, Staff Sergeant Raul Navarro Urena, Major Jacob Redding, Dave Swantak, Interim Commissioner Brad Lindsay of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. I'm Doug Wortham, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. Have a great week. Make an impact on someone's life.